If you're basing your portfolio withdrawals only on the 4% rule, then you're probably missing something. And whether it's actually the 4% rule or guidance approach or anything else, by focusing only on your initial withdrawal rate, you're missing the bigger picture. In today's episode, I'm going to share with you a better approach. This is another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole, and I'm here to teach you how to get the most out of life with your money. And now, on to the episode. When you retire, one of your biggest concerns is going to be where's income coming from. Your paycheck goes away, your portfolio kicks in, and the way that you're going to start pulling money out of your portfolio is likely based, at least to some extent, on some rules, some research that says here's how much you can sustainably take from your portfolio. The problem is if you're just looking at that, ignoring everything else, you're probably going to run into some roadblocks and you're probably going to look back and say, oh my goodness, I made a mistake that was avoidable. That's what I want to share with you today. How do you factor in other considerations so you can make the most of your portfolio withdrawals in retirement? Before we hop in, as always, want to quickly highlight the review of the week, though. And thank you for all of you who have left reviews. Really helpful to get the show discovered by more people. And today, I want to highlight a review. This comes from username D-Merrick. It says, it's five-star reviews. It's very informative. Lots of useful information for getting the most out of your hard-earned retirement savings. I didn't know what I didn't know before listening in. D. Merrick, thank you for taking the time to leave that review. It helps me. It supports the show. It supports others who are looking for great retirement advice. So thank you very much for doing so. And for those of you who haven't done so already, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify or wherever you're listening and allowed to leave reviews, would really appreciate you taking a couple moments to do so. So now let's get on with the show. So the 4% rule. Now I'm picking on the 4% rule because it's fairly basic and easy to explain. But the principles I explained, they're going to be the same whether you're using the 4% rule to govern your portfolio withdrawals. It's the same whether you're using Guyton's approach or some other approach. Your analysis is going to be limited if it's not taking into account other factors. Let's look at an example. And to start, let's redefine what the 4% rule is. The 4% rule says that historically speaking, if you take a portfolio that's 50% invested in U.S. large companies and 50% invested in intermediate government bonds, what you can do is you can take 4% of your portfolio value, adjust it for inflation, and based upon all historical timeframes, you'd have an extremely high probability of not running out of money for 30 plus years. So in other words, you start retirement, you have your portfolio, you invest it a certain way, you say, what percent of this portfolio can I take out? I take that amount out, I adjust it for inflation, and I'm probably going to be okay for at least 30 years. Now, when you look at that, that seems pretty basic. All you need to do is say my annual withdrawal, so that first year withdrawal in retirement, needs to represent 4% of my total portfolio value, or less of course, but no more than 4% if I want to be assured that this is going to last for 30 plus years, at least based upon historical numbers. So you see that and say, okay, well, if I need $40,000 per year as a very basic example, what I do is I divide that by 4%. So $40,000 per year needs to represent 4% of my portfolio value. So if I take $40,000, divide it by 4%, that tells me my portfolio needs to be a million dollars. So a million dollar portfolio can generate that $40,000 per year adjusted for inflation and be fine for 30 plus years based upon the 4% rule. Of course, you still need to account for taxes, for non-portfolio income sources, and cost of living adjustments on those, and a few other factors. But in general, that seems pretty basic. The problem is, that's not how most people's retirement actually goes. It's not as if you retire and need the same exact amount from your portfolio for every single year. 
the reality is you're either going to have staggered income or staggered expenses or both. And so let's look at an example of what that might look like. Let's say, for example, you retire at 65. Well, you're going to retire at 65, but your social security maybe is going to start in five years when you turn 70. And maybe social security for your spouse is going to start in three years. Well, you look at that, and if you start with zero income when you retire, and then your spouse starts their social security in three years, and then you start your social security in five years, what's happening is you have staggered income sources, which means you don't need regular amounts from your portfolio. I shouldn't say regular. You don't need consistent amounts from your portfolio. What you're actually going to need is a lot more those first three years because there's no social security at all to fund anything which means your portfolio is on the hook for everything. If you need 50,000 per year, that full 50,000 has to come from your portfolio. If you need 100,000 per year, that whole 100,000 needs to come from your portfolio. Well, now let's assume three years go by and your spouse's social security benefit kicks in. And let's assume that you need that $50,000 per year and their benefit is 20,000 per year. Well, now you don't need 50,000 from your portfolio, you need 30,000 from your portfolio. So that's a lesser amount. Well, then another couple years goes by, you turn 70, and let's assume at age 70, you have 30,000 coming in from Social Security. I'm just kind of making these numbers up on the fly. But as you look at that, now all of a sudden between your spouse's 20,000 and your 30,000, you don't need anything from your portfolio. So that specific example may or may not be relevant to you exactly, but the principle is if you just look at a portfolio and say, okay, I need this to create 4% per year of income for me to meet my initial withdrawal needs, those initial withdrawal needs might not be your actual needs in three years or five years or 10 years or whatever it might be. So that's the case of staggered income. Now, it could also be the case where you have staggered expenses. What does staggered expenses mean? Well, let's look at an example. Let's assume you retire and you look at your budget, not just for year one of retirement, but you run a basic projection for the first five, 10, 15 years of retirement, not to get things perfect, but just to get a general sense of what's going to stay and what's going to go away when it comes to your budget. Well, maybe your budget starts at $85,000 per year for the first five years of retirement. You might say, well, what would cause it to change? Well, I don't know. Maybe you pay off a mortgage. You still have property taxes and homeowners insurance. But what if five years into retirement, your mortgage is gone? And let's assume that was $15,000 per year. Well, now instead of needing $85,000 per year to do everything you wanted to do, you would only need $70,000 per year to do everything you wanted to do. And you're not taking a pay cut. You're just no longer paying the bank because your mortgage is paid off. So let's assume that happens for another five years, and then your expenses drop to 60000 per year because maybe after 10 years into retirement, you've settled in a bit, you're not as active, you're not taking as many trips, but you're still living comfortably on 60000 per year. So that's not an uncommon scenario at all. Well, let's look at an example of how would that impact your portfolio withdrawal rates. Let's assume, and again to recap, your expenses are 85000 per year for the first five years of retirement. They're 70000 per year for the next five so from year 6 to 10, and then there's 60000 per year from there on out. Well, let's assume that you have consistent Social Security income of 40000 per year. And by consistent, I mean it's starting day one of retirement. It's not like that previous example where it kicked in partway through retirement. So you have 40000 per year from Social Security, and you have $750,000 in your portfolio. If we assume, for simplicity, that portfolio value stays constant, then here's what this looks like. The first five years of retirement, you would need to pull out $45,000 per year from your portfolio. Again, your expenses are $85,000 per year, $40,000 is coming from Social Security, the remaining $45,000 needs to come from your portfolio. 
Well, if we want to understand that as a withdrawal rate, we divide 45,000 per year that you're taking out by your portfolio value, so 750,000. That represents a 6% withdrawal rate. That seems far too high. If you look at that and that's all you looked at, you would say, I can't retire. I am spending far too much of my portfolio. My portfolio is not going to last. Well, that's what you might think, but let's continue with this example. After the first five years, so once your mortgage is paid off, now you're only taking 30000 per year from your portfolio. 40000 is coming in from Social Security. Your living expenses have dropped from 85000 to 70000 because the mortgage is paid off. So now you're taking 30000 per year, and if we assume your portfolio value is still 750000 well, 30 divided by 750000 represents a 4% per year withdrawal rate. So now we feel more comfortable. We say, okay, that's actually a long-term sustainable withdrawal rate, but it gets even better. Let's assume five years later after that, so 10 full years into retirement, we're now assuming that you're only spending $60,000 per year. And if we're assuming that $40,000 is still coming in per year from Social Security, then you only need $20,000 from your portfolio. Well, if you take $20,000 from your portfolio and your portfolio value is still $750,000, that represents a withdrawal rate of only 2.7%. Now, of course, the reality is your portfolio value isn't going to stay constant all those years. Market forces and withdrawals are going to skew that value either upwards or downwards based on what's happening. But the problem is when you retire, if you just apply standard withdrawal rates, it's going to look like you can't retire. If this is you in this example, and you are myopically focused on trying to get that first year withdrawal rate to work, you're going to say, okay, I need a portfolio that if I take 4% of it, it can meet all my needs. Well, if you're limiting your withdrawals to 4% of your portfolio value, because you're not looking at the big picture, you're not looking how your expenses are going to change over time, it would tell you that you would need a much larger portfolio. You would need a portfolio value of $1,125,000 in order to support a withdrawal of $45,000 per year and have that only represent 4% of the portfolio. So if that was wordy and kind of confusing, just to summarize, if you live on $85,000 for the first five years of retirement, and of that $85,000, $40,000 is covered by Social Security, that $45,000 difference needs to come from your portfolio. If we divide 45,000 by 4%, it tells us we need a $1.125 million portfolio to enable us to retire. So if we're there sitting looking at our $750,000 portfolio, we're going to get really discouraged and say, oh my gosh, I'm still a long way off. So you end up putting retirement off for a number of years. Well, the problem is I'd argue you can retire now with $750,000 in your portfolio and maybe even spend more than the numbers that I listed. Well, why? It's not because I have a magical solution to enable a sustainable withdrawal rate beyond 6%. No, not at all. But it's because I can project out that that 6% per year withdrawal rate is only temporary. If you needed 6% per year of your portfolio forever, you would probably not be in a good position to retire and have good odds of success with your retirement. However, that 6% is only temporary. It's only going to last in this example for five years. Then, after the mortgage is paid off, this falls to a more sustainable 4% per year. Then after that, after a few more years of travel and spending, in our example, once that goes away, it falls to an even lower 2.7%, which, based upon all historical time periods looking at the S&P 500 and intermediate-term government bonds, that would be more than sustainable. So now, of course, you want to stress test this. You really want to make sure your expenses are right, build in some buffer, do much more than I'm doing here in this basic example. 
but this is just an example to illustrate how if all you're focused on is that withdrawal rate, you're likely missing something. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only. And that's just looking at staggered income in a vacuum or staggered expenses in a vacuum. If you double down on that and you have both staggered income and staggered expenses, so for example, maybe you have different social security benefits or pensions or rental income or whatever it might be starting at different times throughout retirement, and you have different expenses at different times throughout retirement, which most people do, then that doubles the complexity. So you may be thinking, well, what's the point of a withdrawal rate then if we can't actually apply it to a real world example? Well, you can still apply it, but you just have to understand the context in which you're doing so. And that's what I mean by looking at the big picture. When you understand your different income sources and your different expenses as a starting point, then you can apply this. Now, that's not to say there's still other things to be considered like tax considerations or your asset allocation or other factors. But here's an example of how I would approach this once you have a clearer understanding of your income and expenses and how those change over time. To do this, let's look at that same example. You have the $750,000 portfolio value. You're going to have $85,000 per year of living expenses for the first five years of retirement, $70,000 per year of living expenses for the next five years, so years 6 through 10, and then $60,000 per year expenses from years 11 and beyond. Well, if you look at that portfolio value today of $750,000, to start, don't think of it as just one big portfolio. Break it down into different chunks or buckets or tranches or however you want to think of this. For example, you need $45,000 per year for five years. Well, let's assume a super conservative number of 0% growth and say, how much would I need just sitting in cash? Not that that's most effective, but just to illustrate this, how much do I need sitting in cash that I know I could pull $45,000 per year out of this portfolio regardless of what happens in the stock market? Well, $45,000 per year times five years, that's $225,000. So if of this $750,000 portfolio, let me mentally earmark $225,000 of it to fully fund my first five years of retirement. And it's going to go in something very conservative, say paying nothing in interest or at least no real interest rate after inflation has been backed out. Well, for the next five years, I need $30,000 per year. So that 30000 per year, if I do the same thing, multiply that by five, that's $150,000. So I will need $150,000 starting year five. I know I'm ignoring the impact of inflation here, so that would need to be taken into account. But just to clearly illustrate this, I need $150,000 per year starting in year six, at the very beginning of year six, to fund the next five years. Well, I have five years to get that $150,000. So I don't have to be as conservative with those funds as maybe I'm choosing to be in this example with years zero through five year funds. So let's assume I could get 5% growth and I need that money in five years. So if I need 150,000 in five years and I can put a chunk of money into something growing at 5% from now until then, what that actually means is I need to allocate $118,000 today for my six to 10 year income bucket. So after five years of that $118,000 growing at 5% per year, I'd have $150,000 that could then fund years six through 10. So to recap, 
I need $225,000 sitting in something super conservative that's going to pay me $45,000 for the first five years. All the while, I've put $118,000 into something growing at 5% per year. So when year six rolls around, that can pay me $30,000 per year. So let's back up again. I started with $750,000. Well, really, I still have $750,000. But of that, I've earmarked $225,000 to pay for my first five years of expenses. I've earmarked $118,000 to pay for the next five years of expenses. That leaves me with $407,000 remaining, and that's what needs to fund years 11 and beyond. So if we look at that, can we make that work? Well, here's what we know. Again, at that time, 60000 per year is what I need to live on, 40000 per year is coming in from Social Security, so 20000 is what I actually need. But keep in mind, 10 years have gone by. Inflation is going to happen. So if we want to keep up with inflation, and again, big step back, I know I'm not fully factoring in inflation to some of these aspects, so don't copy exactly what I'm doing, but just here's the framework that I look at. If I need 20000 per year starting in 10 years, And if I assume a 3% per year inflation rate over that next 10 years, then what I really need is $27,000 per year starting after year 10. So that's what I need. And again, I have $407,000 that hasn't been earmarked yet of my existing $750,000 portfolio. Can that $407,000 today grow to a number that can support $27,000 per year withdrawals starting after 10 years? Let's see. If we take that $407,000 in your portfolio that's still remaining, and if we assume we can put that into something that's growing by 7% over the next 10 years, then what it's going to do is grow to about $800,000. So in other words, in 10 years, I'm going to have $800,000 because I've burned through the first bucket of money, I've burned through the second bucket of money, but I still have $800,000 and that then needs to create $27,000 per year for me for the rest of my life. Well, if I divide 27000 by my $800,000 portfolio value, that represents a 3% per year withdrawal rate, more or less. So as I look at it that way, my portfolio can absolutely do that. That's underneath the sustainable withdrawal rate rules that we're looking at using the 4% rule. So what I've done is I've not looked at my $750,000 portfolio as one big portfolio. Yes, it's going to be invested together. It might all be in one account or a series of accounts, depending on what the registrations are. But by looking at this in a more segmented way, I've said how much of that needs to fund years one through five? $225,000. How much of that needs to fund years six through 10? $118,000. And then what's left over to fund years 11 and beyond? And based upon what that's projected to grow to, can it fund those years via a sustainable withdrawal rate? And the answer is yes. So I hope that makes sense. I know that this is a little bit more technical and there's some aspects of the actual calculation I'm leaving out when it comes to the inflation adjustment or the tax side, but that is a good framework of how you'd want to look at this. And to summarize, the reason I'm breaking it up into those different chunks is twofold. One, years one through five, six through 10, 11 and beyond, that's because of staggered expenses. So I don't need the same exact withdrawal rate from each time period. So it's helpful to think of those in different chunks. But number two, I'm going to invest differently for the funds that are earmarked for the first five years than I am for the funds that are earmarked for 10, 15, 20 years and beyond. So that first chunk designed to meet the one through five year needs, that should be very conservative because I don't want any risk of a terrible market inhibiting my ability to take money for those first five years. 
Well, chunks six through 10, that could afford to be a little bit more balanced. You have a longer time horizon, you can afford some fluctuations, but maybe you still don't want the most aggressive allocation. And then years 11 and beyond, that could be a more growth-oriented portfolio because even if the market does fluctuate, and it certainly will fluctuate over 10 years, you have a long enough time horizon for some of those fluctuations to recover. You should keep monitoring it, you should adjust this as you go, but that's the framework that you can think through. So the application of this to the standard 4% rule is twofold. Number one, you're probably not going to have a consistent, smooth withdrawal rate the entire time. It's likely going to fluctuate. And number two, just because the 4% rule is based upon a portfolio that's 50% invested in the U.S. stock market and 50% invested in intermediate term government bonds does not mean you should do that with your portfolio. As you start to look at the different buckets that your portfolio actually needs to fund, going back to being more conservative for the first bucket, more balanced for the second, more growth for the third, in my example, you should come up with the right allocation for your portfolio based upon when you actually need the funds, not based upon this piece of research that's good, but just designed to give you a sense of what's sustainable over long periods of time. So whether it's the 4% rule or the gut and clinger approach, don't just revert to those because of the research showing how much that can support over time. Those were created, both those pieces of research were created under the assumption that you started with a standard withdrawal amount and you adjusted it based upon inflation and market forces, but that's it. The reality is that withdrawal rate is going to be adjusted based upon your income sources and how those change over time in your expenses and how those change over time, and they're not going to be perfectly constant. So in conclusion, here's the guidance I'd give. Make sure you're taking a holistic approach to everything. The 4% rule is great research. Guyton's approach is based on great research. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. However, it's not going to fit perfectly in most people's situations. So you can know that research inside and out. You can know all the rules but still really mess up your retirement plan if you're not looking at things holistically. Make sure you're looking at income and expenses and taxes, inflation, asset allocation, all these different variables to understand the relationship between all of them. So when you're understanding what withdrawal rate you should employ in your portfolio, you're doing so under the right assumptions and you're doing so in a way that will maximize your income over the course of your retirement. So that is it for today's episode. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you for your support of the show. If you'd like more material just like this, you can find this podcast along with other great information on our YouTube channel at Root Financial. So make sure you're subscribed to this podcast on your podcast player. Go subscribe to Root Financial on YouTube, and I'll see you all next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time.